0: A a quick-tempered person does foolish things. Where there is strife, there is pride, but wisdom is found in those who take advice. Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but whoever hates correction, I like this one, whoever hates correction is stupid. (laughs) Seldom set foot into your neighbor's house, too much of you, and they will hate you. Walk with the wise and become wise, for a companion of fools suffers harm. Those who work their land will have abundant food, but those who chase fantasies have no sense. All hard work brings a profit, but mere talk leads only to poverty. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. We're beginning a series uh, today entitled uh, Proverbs ancient wisdom still true and over the next few weeks you're going to look look at the wisdom dispensed by Solomon in the book of Proverbs now Solomon was the son of King David and King David was a man of war and he had established the kingdom through war and and it prospered but it really wasn't until Solomon came to the throne that the kingdom expanded and and discovered the greatest level of prosperity that the Israel had ever experienced and And that prosperity came as a result of the wisdom of Solomon. Uh, God the story goes that that God asked Solomon um, what he wanted. He said to Solomon, You can have anything in the world, what would you want? And Solomon asked for wisdom. When I think about that, it, it seems to me he must have had a certain level of wisdom at that point, even before God gave it to him, didn't he? He said, I want wisdom. And by all accounts, he received that wisdom from God. In fact, word spread throughout the world of the wisdom of this man, and so people would come to see him and to see what he had done with the wisdom of God to expand his kingdom. So Proverbs is a book written by Solomon to dispense the wisdom that God has given him to help enlighten and guide us in our lives. And it, and it seems that the wisdom he brought forth is still applicable today, doesn't it? Like, I mean, everything I just read uh, seems beneficial even today, doesn't it? It all seems to apply even today. My favorite of the ones that we just read was the one that says, seldom set foot in your neighbor's house too much of you, and they will hate you. Some of you guys um, may know this, um, but I, I share a duplex with Pastor Kevin, who's the teaching pastor out in, uh, uh, out in Lake Country. And I've learned to apply this in my life. Because I I, I I limit the amount of time I go to their house because I know me enough to know that too much of me, and you'll end up hating me. So it works. The things that we see in Proverbs, written thousands of years ago, works even today. Ancient wisdom still true. And we can go verse by verse and phrase by phrase through this book and be confronted by truth that I think we would find really interesting. In fact, I think we could find it really challenging. But there's a piece of this whole puzzle, this whole puzzle of, of the wisdom dispensed through Solomon of God that is required to really benefit from the wisdom given. In other words, there's something that we need. If we study this, if we, if we read this, if we go phrase by phrase and, and verse by verse, there's something that is needed for us to fully benefit from the wisdom that is given by Solomon in this book. It appears that Solomon gives a key to unlocking all the wisdom expressed in his pages, and without it, you can gaze upon the truth, but it will ultimately not bring you much benefit. As I was writing that, I I, I uh, was brought back to a story of when I was in high school, and I think this is a lot what what, what this is like. When I was in high school, I, I played on our high school soccer team, and every August, we would have we'd have two days, meaning we'd have two hours of practice, two hour break and then two hours of practice. And one particular day when it was sunny and hot, um, we had our 2 and days and I had to ride my bike there because my parents weren't going to be around. And I had to ride my bike several miles in the heat, practice for two hours, sit for two hours in the heat, then practice for two hours in the heat, and then bike my bike back home in the heat. By the time I got to my house, I was tired and hungry and thirsty and hot. And I, and I couldn't wait to get in my air-conditioned house and get a tall glass of lemonade and put something in my body. Parked the car in the garage, went to the front door, went to open the front door and realized I forgot my key. And I'm like, ah, oh, mom and dad aren't going to be home for like an hour or two. So I'm like, well, maybe if I go around back, they left something unlocked. So I went around the back door and the door was locked. And I went over to the sliding glass door thinking maybe... You know that little the little lever on the glass door. Maybe they forgot to slide that down. So I go to open it, and I had this I had this little little glimmer of false hope. Because as I went to open the door, it started to slide, and then it stopped. You know why, right? Yeah, we put the broomstick in the door, and so now I couldn't open it. So so I had this much room. And as I'm standing there and I'm staring through the glass door, I see I, I see a bag of Oreos on the counter. I, I, I see the refrigerator full of lemonade and lunch meat. And it was this visceral sense of it's just outside my reach. I can see it. I can I, I can almost taste it. And deep inside, I, I I I died just a little in that moment. The only thing I could feel like doing was just like crawling up in the fetal position and crying on my back porch. Thank you for that sympathy. <laughs> this to me is very much like what you see as you step into the book of Proverbs. If you don't understand the key, if you don't have the key that Solomon gives us to unlock the wisdom that is available to us. It seems that the, that the wisdom of Solomon laid out in this book is much like the story I just told. We can browse through all the wisdom dispensed here, but if you don't have the key, it won't matter. Look at how he starts the book. Look at look at how he begins the story. Look at how he begins the instruction and wisdom to each one of us. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, for gaining wisdom and instruction, for understanding words of insight, for receiving instruction in prudent behavior, knowing what is right and just and fair, for giving prudence to those who are simple, knowledge and discretion to the young, To let the wise listen and add to their learning and let the discerning get guidance for understanding proverbs and parables, the sayings and riddles of the wise. So he starts out and he says, this is what the book is about. This is what the book is really about. It's for for gaining wisdom and instruction. It's it's for understanding words of insight, for instruction on, on prudent behavior and doing what is right and doing what is just and doing what is fair. It's for helping the simple to understand. It's for helping the young gain wisdom. It's for helping those who are wise to expand their wisdom a little bit more. He says this is what this book is meant to do. And then he gives us the key to unlock all that. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of all knowledge. But fools despise wisdom. And instruction. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of all knowledge. Solomon in this passage says says, Listen, I want you to gain wisdom and instruction. I want you to be prudent and do what is right and just and fair. But there is something you have to understand that unlocks that reality, that that brings to life the truth that I'm putting in here, that that allows you to have all the wisdom and all the knowledge as I'm spelling it out for you. It begins, the beginning of it all, and I think a, a proper translation of that is, it, it, it is the fountainhead of it all is the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of all knowledge and of all wisdom. As we begin this discussion, we have to realize that that King Solomon believes that truly grasping the wisdom dispense begins... With the fear of the Lord. And the central element, the central focus of the book is the reality of God and a right understanding of our place before Him. What does it take to unlock the wisdom of Solomon? The fear of the Lord. The wisdom relayed by Solomon isn't merely a wisdom you can pick up in reading Mindworks or a parent's magazine or reading an advice column. The wisdom of, of Solomon might overlap with the wisdom of the world, but the absence of God in the world's advice is ultimately its fatal flaw. Solomon means for us to hear his counsel as it's related to God, as it's related to our understanding of God, as it's related to our relationship with God. We often think of the book of Proverbs as a book of what you can learn from for ordinary earthly living. And much of it is. But the point of the book is to bring all that into relation to God so that he becomes the center of it all and that that wisdom actually comes to life in us. Let me give you an example from from Proverbs chapter 30, verse 8. In verse 8 it says, Give me neither poverty nor riches, Feed me with the food that is my portion, lest I be full and deny thee, and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be in want and steal and profane the name of the Lord. Do you see what this says about God? The wise man prays, Guard me from riches, and guard me from poverty. Why? Because if I'm rich, I might say, who needs God? And if I'm poor, I might steal. And, and why does he say stealing is such a big deal? Does he say stealing's an issue because I might get caught or, or, or I might go to jail or, or I might bring shame upon my name? No, he says because if I steal, I will profane the name of my God. He's saying riches are dangerous because the ultimate issue is God and poverty is dangerous because the ultimate issue is God. The book of Proverbs, the most practical, down-to-earth book in the Bible, is written for God's sake. Is written for us in relationship to God. That we might not deny God in our prosperity, and we might not profane God in the hour of need. Solomon provides all this wisdom from a perspective that requires the acknowledgement of God. Submission to God, and more specifically, a fear of God. So what does that mean? what does it mean, the fear of the Lord? If Proverbs places the fear of the Lord as the key ingredient to truly being blessed and affected by the wisdom that we are studying, what does it mean to fear the Lord? I think all too often this concept is tied to a relationship with God that He doesn't intend for us to have. Too often we see this as... as I need to be afraid of God because if I do something wrong or I do something I shouldn't do, God's going to shoot a lightning bolt down at me. This idea that that if I do something, I need to be afraid of God because at any moment He may squash me. May at any moment He may reject me. And so we read this and we say, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom and we, we begin to warp this understanding, this idea of what it means to fear God. i was talking to somebody between services and and I really believe we struggle in our English language to have a word to capture this. And so let me give you, uh, let, me, let, me, let me read the Amplified Bible because I think it gives a really, good, a really good starting insight into our call to fear the Lord. The reverent and worshipful fear of the Lord is the beginning and the principle and choice part of knowledge, its starting point and its essence. I like, I like the Amplify because the concept of fear is, is more closely tied to reverence or worship of God. A.W. Tozer states it simply as this. The fear of God is astonished reverence. I love that. I love that idea. The fear of God is astonished reverence. And one of the reasons why I love this so much is because I think we live in a culture, I think we live in, in an incarnation um, in which in which we don't have this 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 astonished reverence of God that that everything in our life is awesome except the one who is awesome right everybody talks about things being awesome right Some athlete's an awesome athlete some girlfriend's an awesome girlfriend some food is is, is awesome food there's some band that's awesome there's some song that's awesome right? But we've lost sight of the awesomeness of God. How, how God is so beyond us. So God is so beyond whatever it is that we see, or whatever it is we can hang on to, and say that's incredible. For a lot of us, we can look at we can we can look at a at, at a sunset and see all the colors come alive, and we can say that is awesome. And to a very small degree, it is awesome. And I say to a very small degree because it is only a slight picture, it is only a slight vision into the awesomeness of our God, the awesomeness of His creativity, and the awesomeness of His power. I love this understanding of the fear of the Lord being a deep awe, a deep reverence, a deep worship, knowing how wonderful He is, how majestic He is, how incredible He is. I fear that we have made Him far too familiar. We we have perse- perceived God to be in service to us. We have embraced Him when He comports to, to our wants and to, to our definitions. But we rarely stand before Him in awe-inspired humility. And that's where wisdom begins. It begins standing before God, inspired, uh, moved with a deep, deep sense of respect for who He is. See, ultimately, the fear of the Lord is having a proper view of who He is and then who we are before Him. It, it, it's not a cringing dread before the Lord. It, it's not a guilty, oh no, here comes God, I'm in for it now. The fear of the Lord is inspires an openness to Him, an eagerness to please Him, a humility to be instructed by Him. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom. And there are some really essential ingredients, I think, for the fear of the Lord to become manifested in our lives. The first is that we have to have a pervasive sense of the presence of God. Now, think about that for a moment. We need to have a pervasive sense of the presence of God. It makes a difference when we are conscious of the fact that God is here, doesn't it? Uh, when, when, when we go about our lives, when we go about the way we talk at people or to people, when we, when we make the decisions that we make throughout life, one of the things that we as Christians tend to do is we tend to forget that God is present there. Right? When we are conscious of it, when we think about it, we make different choices, don't we? When we go, God sees what I'm doing right now. God is present right now in the moments that I'm taking, in the things that I'm saying, in the things that I'm doing. Most likely we allow ourselves to enter into all sorts of behavior and all sorts of attitudes and all sorts of actions that that if we were conscious of the presence of God, we probably wouldn't do. Or we do differently. I really feel it's so important for us as we as we seek the, the, the understanding of the presence of God. That we know that He is here and near us. If we believe God is present, it changes the way we behave and the way we act. And this relates directly to the Proverbs. If we believe God is present, Proverbs 14.31 says, may evoke a different response to our particular interactions. Whoever oppresses a poor man insults his maker, but he who is generous to the needy honors him. If we have a sense that God is here as we come across somebody who's in need, it might change the way we interact with them, right? If you have a sense of the presence of God, Proverbs 28, 13, I think carries a different impact. Whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. How many of us in our Christian walk go through our lives working hard to conceal our sin from God? Right? We we go through life trying to conceal our sin from God. and, and, And when you understand the presence of God is with you and the presence of God is there, That's foolishness, isn't it? So there's no reason to conceal ourselves before God. But what we should do is we should go to God in humility and, and repent and ask for His forgiveness. Because He already sees it. He already knows it. And Proverbs 18, verse 10 has a value in the times of struggle when we believe in the presence of God. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous man runs into it and is saved. I think one of the reasons why when we go through hard times in our lives, when we go through struggles in our lives, we don't run to God and find comfort and peace is because we don't consciously connect the truth that He's here, that God is present in our lives. Central to the fear of the Lord is that is the key to wisdom, is the sense that God is present. And I think that reality is reflected, is, is hidden in a way, in this morning's text. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, it says. And then it says, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Proverbs quite often creates um, contrasts in in the verses, um, in their expressions, they, 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 they say one and then two. A and then B. One of the examples, I, a couple of examples I can give you is from ones that we mentioned already. Walk with the wise and become wise, for a companion of fools suffers harm. Or a heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. The truth is Proverbs chapter 1 verse 7 is no different than these passages. He establishes the contrast of someone who fears the Lord with being what? A fool. He says, he says the beginning of all wisdom, the beginning of knowledge is the fear of the Lord, but a fool resists instruction, resists knowledge. What is he saying the fool is? What is he saying constitutes being a fool? Well, it's interesting because I believe what's happening here is, is that Solomon is, is drawing from the writings of his father, David. David writes in, in Psalms 14, a fool says in his heart, there is no God. So he's saying here, what he's saying is, is if you want wisdom, if you want knowledge, you have to acknowledge God. That He is, that He is present, that, 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 that He is aware of you and what's going on. And he says the person who says there is no God won't receive instruction, won't receive wisdom, won't receive knowledge. We have to understand that that the starting point for the fear of God, the fear of the Lord, is the conviction that God is present. As Albert Barnes says, the beginning of wisdom is found in the temper of reverence and awe. The fear of the finite in the presence of the infinite. Or the sinful in the presence of the holy. The fear of the Lord comes when we when we acknowledge the pervasive presence of God in our lives. His presence to inspire us to holiness. His presence to comfort us in our pain. His presence to give us assurance that He is with us. And I want you to remember something. This is is not some, some, some ethereal concept of the presence of God. It is the living God indwelling us through the Holy Spirit. Jesus Christ said to His disciples and to us in the Word, He said, I will never leave you, I will never forsake you. He said to him, I will be with you always, even to the ends of the earth. Then you remember what else he said? He said, I must go. In fact, he says, it's better that I go. Because why? Because I will send the comforter. I will send the Holy Spirit. Jesus Christ was saying, I am going to send the presence of God to be alive in your life. The presence of God to be with you at all times. You see, we realize we th- this becomes realized when we come to Him and the Spirit of God abides in us, and is a part of our lives. Every single one of us has the presence of God. The presence of God is here right now. The presence of God is with you when you go in your car. The presence of God is with you in your home and in your workplace. The presence of God is here. And it means that we have got to know real, in a, in a real and deep sense that He walks with us. That He's near us. that he's, That He's involved in all that we say and all that we do. That He is here. As comfort. As guide. God's presence is here. And that to me is an awe-inspiring reality. The second key ingredient to have the fear of God open the door to wisdom is a correct concept of the character of God. A right understanding of the nature of God. As I mentioned earlier, we tend to, we tend to, uh, to, to create God in our image, filtering his nature through, through our prism, or we allow culture to paint for us an image of God deeply disconnected from the God of the Bible. There are many attributes of God that when one after the other are stacked upon them to create who God is, we see an awe-inspiring presence that is with us. A sense of the presence of God is valuable when we know the character and the nature of God. God who is completely holy and yet completely merciful. Think about that yes, God is holy. And so therefore He calls us and inspires us to be holy ourselves. But when we fall short, there is mercy available for us to be made right before Him. God who is is both loving and powerful. I love that truth. I love that reality that a sovereign God who, who reigns over all also loves us. That every circumstance we find ourselves, every situation we find ourselves in is undergirded by the truth that the presence of a God who loves me and is all powerful is with me. That's an incredible thought, isn't it? It creates for you such great comfort no matter what it is you go through. A God who is, who is infinite and immutable forever and unchanging in his ways. A God who spoke life into existence and even now whispers in our hearts and into our minds truth. The fear of the Lord, the reverence and awe that empowers us to embrace the wisdom of God will only manifest in our lives when we know the true God of the Bible, not one of our creation or of our culture's imagination, but when we come face to face with the correct character of our God who is present with us. The final ingredient to inspire a fear of the Lord flows naturally from this truth to a constant awareness of your obligation to God. All of what we are talking about here is a knowledge of God, His presence, His character that causes us to know our place before Him. What is our obligation? to this God? What is our obligation to this God? This God who is present always. This this God who is all-powerful. This God who is all-loving. This God who is all-holy. This God who is all-merciful. What is our obligation before Him? This last week I was reminded of of, of the truth of what my obligation before Him is. My, my, My middle son, Gio, was tasked with writing a skit for his homeschool class. And so he wrote Around the concept of knowing that God has a purpose for everyone. Now, he wrote it in a funny way. There was a, the, the, the the starting character essentially says, God has a purpose for your life. And the second character goes out and walks in with a dolphin. And he says, What is that about? And he goes, Well, you said God has a purpose for my life. And he said, no, 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 I'm saying God has a reason for you. So he came out, went out, and he came back in with a raisin. And he said, what's that for? And he said, well, you said he has a raisin for my life. And he said, no, God created you that you may bring glory to him. Thank you, Sunday school class teachers, for teaching my son. That the purpose of every one of us is to bring glory and honor to God. All that we are instructed in the, in the book of Proverbs is to that end. That as we know his presence, as we understand his nature, we are moved before him to honor and glorify him. Do you think it's a coincidence that Solomon in the book of Ecclesiastes finishes with, this, with these words? The end of the matter, after all has been heard, fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. That that Solomon, the one who wrote this book of wisdom that's trying to open up to us the path and the direction we should go, writes a book in Ecclesiastes where he, he, he goes after everything and he pursues everything to figure out what is the purpose of man, what 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 is the reason for us being here? And he ends with that idea. The whole duty of man is to fear God and keep his commandments. In this reality, we find our purpose and we find our completion. I genuinely believe that so much of the turmoil that we see in in, in lives around us is the fact that we've abandoned our purpose for being. Our purpose for being is not the next high. Our purpose for being is not the next pleasure. Our purpose for being is not the next sexual conquest. Our purpose for being is not to be wealthier. Our purpose for being is to bring glory and honor to the name of God. And when we abandon that reality, we're left with nothing but an emptiness in our spirit and our soul, continually and constantly trying to be filled. That's why the wisest man that the world has ever known, after searching after all things in this world, said, the end of the matter is to fear God and keep His commandments. Ultimately, the wisdom of Proverbs is effective when we place ourselves rightly before the majesty of God. Fear the Lord. Stand before Him in awe and reverence, aware of who He is. If you want to be changed from the foolishness of our self-pride to the wisdom of God, it requires us to humble ourselves before the reality of who God is. For a lot of us, we struggle in that. A lot of us, we struggle in grasping the depths of the beauty of God and the nature of God. So we struggle to stand in awe before God. The truth is this isn't going to be something that is is brought about by by straining and willpower, but by deeply embracing who God is. There is no other way but to humble ourselves before God. The Majesty of God, getting down low before Him, because that's where we belong. It, it, it's not degrading; it is a profound posture. When you think about it, if you would like to experience God with that humility, here is how you can. This is the pathway that I've always found to be the truth pathway. Pathway forward. I stand before the cross you see a wise man hanging there, dying in the place of fools like you and me. You may think yourself above him, but he humbled himself to be in that place. For me, it leads me to stand in awe of my God, that his Son, who was perfect, His Son, who did nothing, came at the instruction, at the plan of my Heavenly Father that I might be made right, that I might be reconciled to my Heavenly Father and find a joy and a peace and a hope that I never knew. How can you stand before the cross and not stand there in awe of the one who died for you? the fear of the lord the the reverence of the lord the 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 awe of the lord is the beginning the fountainhead the wellspring of all wisdom without it we're left to our own devices you could read proverbs front and back 10 times over and there'll be no wisdom really to find be found there May we fear the Lord as we discover more and more who He is.